It is Thursday, July 14th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schauff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And Jared, this is going to be the fourth installment of our divisional preview series. We hit both Wests. We hit the NFC South earlier this week. It's AFC South's turn this week. And for all of these, we talk about both best ball and season long. And we kind of talk about moving from best ball to lineup setting because they are very different formats in how we play players. And as we get deeper into summer, it's going to be, you know, ever more lineup setting season and looking at season long play and the leagues we've been playing in for most of our fantasy lives. And so I want to start out talking about Fantrax. Fantrax.com is a totally free league hosting site, totally customizable and easy to use. We're going to be using it as the host for the Draft Sharks Invitational next month. That, of course, is a tournament that pulls together six different leagues. It's got super flex scoring. It's got tight end premium scoring. So, you know, some tricky settings for the league. Easy to do on Fantrax because they handle all of that. What do you play in your league? IDP, maybe two quarterbacks. Maybe it's even just a common fantasy football format. Obviously, all of that is going to be covered on Fantrax. Easy to set up. And Jared... I would guess that most people who, you know, just avoid moving from one league host site to another, they do so just because it's easier to keep what you've been using to this point. You don't want to go through the hassle of setting it up on a whole new site when you already have it ready to go for next year. Fantrax can actually import existing leagues to their platform. So you don't have to worry about going through all of the setup. It can get pulled in for you ready to go when your league is ready to draft. And there's customer service just in case you hit any snags along the way. So if you head over to Fantrax.com slash draft sharks right now, you can get that league running. They'll help you if you need it. And if you do so before the end of July, you'll be entered to win a signed Travis Kelsey jersey. Jared, I don't know how many years Travis Kelsey has left. And then once he retires, it's only going to be a matter of the standard weight before he's a Hall of Famer. So that could be a high value jersey. Yeah, and I'm in that drawing too because I, I just moved our DS Invitational Leagues over to Fantrax with Super Easy. Like you said, not the most simple rules to that DS Invite, but um, Fantrax handled it easily. So I love playing there. Pumped to have the DS Invitational on, on Fantrax this year. Yeah, I th- the only site that I know of that could handle pulling those divisions together into one set of standings, which of course we have throughout the season. So looking forward to playing it on there. You're going to see a lot of it on the DS Invitational podcast that are coming up in early August. So again, fantracks.com slash draft sharks. Tell them we sent you now, Jared, let's move on to the fourth division in our preview series. It is the AFC South and it's not all that exciting, but we'll get to why and some players that will be worth watching. We'll start with the Texans. And why don't you tell me what has changed on the coaching front there? Yeah, starting with a bang here with the Texans, who have the lowest win total on DraftKings Sportsbook at four and a half wins. Um, brand new coaching staff here, Lovey Smith in at head coach. He's a defensive mind. It's going to be Pep Hamilton as offensive coordinator, re- uh, replacing Tim Kelly, who was there the previous two years, I believe. Hamilton's b- bounced around all over the place. Jets, 49ers, Bears, um, spent time at Stanford and Michigan. He was the D.C. Defenders head coach of the XFL a few years ago. Spent 2020 with the Chargers. And then he was with Houston last year as the quarterback coach and passing game coordinator. So, you know, has some experience with Davis Mills, who we'll talk about in a second year. So you like that. Hamilton also has three seasons as NFL 
offensive coordinator with the Colts, um, 2013 to 2015. Andrew Luck was there for those three seasons. He, he played the first two seasons in full. He played about half of the third season, missed, missed the second half with injury. Matt Hasselbeck was uh, Hamilton's quarterback for the other half of that season. Hamilton ran fast-paced and pass-heavy offenses with the Colts. Uh, those three teams ranked seventh, fourth, and third in situation-neutral pace, fourth, second, and eighth in situation-neutral pass rate. Now, I think the personnel had a lot to do with that. You have Andrew Luck, you know, who was one of the best quarterbacks for those few seasons. Um, so I don't expect Hamilton to try to go that pass-heavy with Houston, but he might have to because, again, this is going to be a bad team. They're going to find themselves trailing plenty. Yeah, I think that this is going to be a fairly high run pass split team or, you know, pass percentage team. I projected it at 59.5% pass, which is up slightly versus last year, still closer to the league medium than it is to being a truly high pass offense. I just don't think it's going to be a very good team. I think it's going to be a team that's close to where that win projection is. So I think they're going to have to throw the ball more. I hesitate to try to glean too much from Pep Hamilton's pass just because of how little there is in Houston right now. I mean, you know, we'll go position by position like we do with the other teams, but the <laughs> way to look at this Houston team heading into the season for fantasy purposes is to not be excited. Yeah, it's, it's uh, Brandon Cooks or bust pretty much, but we'll, we'll get into it anyways. Yeah, QB, Davis Mills, uh, good things last year. I mean, he came off just 11 college starts, so it was tough to expect a whole lot. He was a third-round pick. Of course, didn't start right away, but was behind Tyrod Taylor, so got the opportunity there. There's no rushing. He passed well last year. And then the pass catchers for him are basically Brandon Cooks and a gigantic shrug emoji at best. Yeah, he played well from a real life perspective. And he's an interesting prospect because remember, he was the number one overall recruit in the 2017 class, um, actually ahead of Tua Tagovailoa in that class. So, you know, had Buzz coming into Stanford, kind of had, had a rocky career in college because of some knee injuries, but definitely flashed last year. Again, played well in real life, but. In fantasy, if you'd look at his 11 full games, his scoring averages in those games would have ranked just 29th among quarterbacks. So it's just, you know, bad offense, not great weapons. Like you said, no rushing ability. So you know, nothing really to get excited about with Mills outside of, you know, maybe as a quarterback three in your super flex and two quarterback leagues. Right. It's kind of an intriguing real life story, especially when you consider how many quarterbacks went in the first round last year and then Davis Mills played well versus those guys. But fantasy wise, there's just really not a whole lot of upside to mine here, regardless yeah. of format. We'll talk about his ADP later. Uh, there's certainly a place for him, but it's not a place of uh, prestige. So running back, speaking of a lack of prestige, Marlon Mack, Damian Pierce, Rex Burkhead, Dare Ogunbowale, who people might not even realize is on the team. Jared, give me a reason to bet on any of these guys at any level of significance. Yeah, Royce Freeman signed with, with Houston, too. So there's a bunch of dudes there. They're not all going to make the team. I don't have a reason to really invest in this backfield. I mean, Damian Pierce was an interesting prospect. You look at some of the advanced metrics like PFF rushing grade and elusive rating. He fared very well. Kind of underwhelming college production was always in a committee backfield at Florida. I thought the draft was a win for him. I mean, he went early fourth round. He was the seventh running back off the board. So I, I thought that was a win. He he lands in a spot where there's opportunity. I think it's, you know, it's probably Pierce versus Marlon Mack for the early down work. I do think there's a chance Rex Burkhead handles most or at least some of the passing down work. So that obviously hurts. And again, just a, a bad offense, not going to be many touchdown opportunities. Questionable offensive line. The Texans last year, 32nd in PFF run blocking grade and 32nd in football outsiders adjusted line yards. They did add a few guys to the O-line uh, guard Kenyon Green in the first round of the draft. Uh, left tackle Laramie Tunsil, who, who who is a you know their best O-lineman by far, missed 12 games last year. So if he's healthier, the O-line could be 
a bit better, but it's, you know, it's still going to be a bottom half of the league unit. So I, I'm not super. I mean, all these guys are cheap, so you can make cases for them, but I, they're not guys I'm going out and, and targeting in drafts. Yeah, we'll get to ADP in a few minutes on them, but I think it's also um, worth looking at the cap hits for these guys. Rex Burkhead, they extended a, on a multi-year deal, and he's at two and a half million in 2022 cap hit. So he leads the backfield in that category. Marlon Mack has a $1.7 million hit for this year. Dario Gonwale, $1.45 million. Of course, Damian Pierce is sub $1 million. You can't really read into that because that's just his rookie contract. So I don't think that positions him in terms of what we should expect versus the other guys. But, you know, it's worth noting that they're paying Rex Burkhead the most among these running backs. I don't know that it necessarily translates to how the workload is split up because none of these guys is making so much money that you're like, well, obviously they like him. But it's worth keeping in mind for slotting them. All three of those veterans are fairly close together. Dario Gumbali is fairly close to Marlon Mack and, of course, has a bit more on the receiving side than Mack does behind him. So I think the biggest takeaway here is that if any one of these guys was set to lead the backfield, then you could say, fine, he's the lead back for Houston. I don't think we're going to have a lead back here. So it makes none of them especially interesting, especially once we get two lineups that we have to set every week. Yeah, again, with, with you know, Burkhead, not going to be a fantasy factor, but I think he's going to eat into the passing down snaps of, you know, whoever the lead guy is between Pierce and Marlon Mack. Um, Burkhead was bad as a ball carrier last year, but he caught 25 of 32 targets and was ninth among 51 qualifiers in PFF receiving grade among running backs. So he can still get that, get it done in the receiving game there. So I I just think it's going to be a mess with, you know, two or three guys involved in a bad offense. Yeah, Burkhead was the most productive receiver in that backfield that did include David Johnson and half a season of Mark Ingram. So, you know, they gave him the ball some. Pass catchers, you already alluded to it, but it's Brandon Cooks and not a whole lot else. He finished wide receiver 15 and 21 and half PPR the past two seasons, 10 weeks inside the top 24 last year, and he fared particularly well when Davis Mills was starting. Yes, he saw more volume, caught more balls, had more yards, and scored more touchdowns in 10 full games with Davis Mills versus you know the other six games Cooks played. So, you know, still still getting nice volume. He's been uh, 18th and 12th among wide receivers and targets the past two seasons. He's been 21st and 11th in target share. So volume's there. Cornerback play could be better than what he's, you know, and definitely better than what he had for, for, you know, at least half of last year. Then if you think Mills is going to take another step, that helps. And then Cooks is still a good player, too. I mean, Two years ago, he was 19th out of 90 qualifying wideouts in PFF receiving grade. And last year, he was 27th out of 90. So, you know, it's again, it's not a good offense, but Cooks is good enough. And just the volume he's going to see, you know, he, he's a good bet for wide receiver two production again this season. Yeah, I mean, nobody's excited about him for one thing, because nobody has ever been excited about Brandon Cooks for whatever reason. <laughs> and two, nobody's excited about Houston, but everybody should consider him an ADP value. And clearly the fact that he's still where he is. Uh, means that not enough people are realizing what a value he is there. So you you just take him and don't even think too much about why. The team also extended him for two years after the early offseason trade rumors. So, you know, they're committing to him financially. He's going to be the lead wide receiver. And neither Nico Collins nor John Mechie scares me for Brandon Cooks' target share either this season or, or over the, the rest of his span with the Texans. No, definitely not. I mean, you know, Nico Collins was a guy I – was somewhat interested coming in last year. Um, didn't do anything to really get excited about as a rookie. I mean, he, he found playing time, which I guess you could count as a positive, but there wasn't much competition in Houston. There's still not much competition this year. Like I do think Nico Collins is going to be this team's number two receiver. And, you know, when Mechie gets over the ACL, Mechie tore his ACL in December. So mm-hmm. he might not even be ready for week one. Um, and, and when he is, I think he's going to be the, the slot guy. Cause that's, that's what he was at Alabama. That's kind of the profile he fits. I do think Collins is going to be the other starter. 
on the outside, but again, just it, t- tough to get excited about like a clear number two receiver on this Texans offense. Right. I was surprised that John Mechie went where he did ahead of George Pickens, Alec Pierce, Sky Moore in round two. As you mentioned, coming off that December ACL tear, I'm treating him as a non-entity for fantasy this season. You know, we'll see beyond that because I don't think he was a thrilling prospect. There are certainly some John Mechie fans, and I'm not saying he's bad, but I don't think he's a thrilling wide receiver prospect, even at full health. So he's just like a he's somebody that doesn't really register on my radar. Yeah, I thought he was a pretty high floor prospect but i don't see a big ceiling with him again you know he's only 511 187 pounds i think he's he's going to be mostly a slot receiver in the pros don't see him as a big you know yards per catcher or touchdown guy maybe at some point in his career he racks up enough volume to be someone we like in fantasy but fine dynasty stash but, but not someone i'm using a, a draft pick on in redraft leagues again there, there's a chance he's not even ready for the start of the season yeah and long term he's somebody who could maybe should be a fine player but mm-hmm. lacks the ceiling and didn't land in a great uh situation for maximizing whatever his potential is rounding out the pass catchers brevin jordan looks like the top receiving tight end there there have been people who seem mildly excited on brevin jordan let's say his adp is not high enough that anybody's actually excited but there's some chatter about him at times he did become part of that offense over the second half of his rookie season reached four targets only four times though topped that number only once so there's opportunity because houston is weak at tight end jordan akins is gone Pharaoh Brown returns. He re-signed, but he's mostly a blocker. Did lead the Texans tight ends in targets last year. So I think Pharaoh Brown probably steals enough to keep Brevin Jordan from really being much of a fantasy factor outside of like a third tight end in best ball contests. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think Jordan did just enough as a rookie last year to keep me interested. I mean, we know rookie tight ends rarely make big impacts, but he did flash a few times down the stretch. Had a sort of intriguing prospect profile. He was the number one tight end in his recruiting class. Uh, Average 63 yards per game over his final two seasons at Miami. He's that, you know, undersized athletic pass catching tight end that we like to target in fantasy, but he was a fifth round pick. So um, not someone I'm targeting aggressively, but I I do think he's probably going to be Houston's lead tight end this season. I would bet on him leading Houston's tight ends in receiving this season. I was under consensus on him as a prospect. And then when he went in round five, that just kind of confirmed how I felt about him. You know, he he's, if you watch him, there's some intriguing athleticism, as you said, but he is small and small tight ends just don't generally deliver those high ceilings. So I, I, there's, there's not a lot for me to get excited about. If you like him where he's going, then that's fine. And let's go ahead and jump to that ADP. Cause I think that's really the only point that adds some interest to some of these Houston pieces. Davis Mills is at QB 29. That's fine. Certainly, especially as a best ball, a third best ball quarterback. And he's a fine stash in dynasty particularly if it's super flex formats running back damian pierce rb42 on underdog marlon mack rb54 rex burkhead rb82 and dario gambale doesn't even register I, I would be surprised if he's been drafted more than like i don't know half percent of of times yeah anyone drafting ogambale is probably a misclick i mean the pierce and mack are fine where they're going like they're late enough and you know one of them could approach 200 carries, I guess, this season and be decent. But there's just other guys in that area that definitely have more upside than than those those two Texans back. So they're not guys I've been targeting too aggressively. I'm not even drafting Damian Pierce where he's going because he has an easier initial path to work. These are the guys going around him within a round ahead or a little bit more than a round ahead. James Cook, Ronald Jones, Alexander Madison, Rashad White, and then just behind Damian Pierce, Isaiah Spiller, Daryl Henderson, Naheem Hines, Michael Carter, even Tyler Algier a couple rounds later. Like the paths for Damian Pierce and Tyler Algier look 
very similar to me in terms of what they can expect without injuries around them. Tyler Algier is more than two rounds behind where Damian Pierce is. He actually showed us in college that he could be a lead back for a team. We haven't seen that yet from (laughs) Pierce. And, you know, just when it's all put together, I, I don't think that there's enough upside to point me toward Pierce where he's going. Yeah, Pierce and Algier are very similar. Rookies with paths to decent volume on bad offenses. I like Pierce a bit better as a prospect, but definitely not enough to be taking him up 25 picks higher. Guys like Daryl Henderson, Rashad White, even Isaiah Spiller have more upside just, you know, I guess because of the offenses they play in. Um, So especially in these big basketball tournaments, those are the type of guys I want to be taking in in this territory. Yeah, we want ultimate ceiling uh, down at that level. Marlon Mack, I think, is more interesting, especially because he can fall well past ADP, and that's when I'm interested in him is when he's you know around two rounds, maybe even three rounds past ADP because there's lots of fluidity in the ADPs at that range. Rex Burkhead's a guy that you're never going to be happy to take, but if you're taking like a sixth running back at the very end of the draft, and especially talking about somebody that's not getting drafted in every draft that goes off, there is obviously upside to him you know, just in the fact that he's the highest paid running back in Houston. So it's going to be spread around. There are going to be weeks where he pops up. And if you get two, you know, mm-hmm. good weeks from Rex Burkhead, he's obviously paying off at an RB82 ADP. No thanks for me, I'm Burkhead. <laughs> wide receivers, Brandon Cooks, wide receiver 25 on underdog. Nico Collins, 73. John Mechie, 89. What you got there? Cooks is rising, but I mean, he's, I think he's still a value at wide receiver 25 in the mid fifth round. So he's, he's been one of my highest, targeted and you know highest owned wide receivers in these underdog and ffpc drafts and to me like nico collins and john mechie i'm only taking if i'm usually game stacking honestly because houston gets jacksonville in week 17 and we'll get to the jags in, in a second here but that's a team i've been targeting a bunch as stacks and underdog tournament so you know maybe you take a nico collins or even a john mechie because by the end of the season you know mechie should be relatively healthy and maybe playing a decent size role. So that's the only time I'm taking Nico Collins or John Mechie, even at those price tags. Yeah. I don't think I've taken Mechie at all. Maybe once or twice here and there. Um, I agree. Nico Collins, very end of the draft, most likely a game stack with Jacksonville, as opposed to even stacking with Davis Mills. You know, maybe if you did take Davis Mills and you are looking at your last round wide receiver, he certainly makes some sense there as well. And then Brandon cooks, you mentioned he's rising, but he had a long way to rise before he gets out of value range. He's still nearly around behind Gabriel Davis. He's behind Jerry Judy's behind Allen Robinson behind DK Metcalf, only slightly ahead of Rashad Bateman and Juju Smith Schuster. So still clearly a a value range and he's still well behind an ADP where he is in our projection. Yeah. Double digit spots behind uh, where we have him in our rankings. Brevin Jordan, tight end 28. If you want to take him there, fine. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's guys I like better in that range. Yeah. Again, to me, Jordan would be a guy I take as part of a stack. Otherwise, I'm not really interested. Yep. Same for me on all counts. So let's move on to the Indianapolis Colts. No coaching changes of significance here. They lost their defensive coordinator, but most of you guys don't care about that because you're not playing IDP anyway for some reason. Frank Reich returns as the head coach, his fifth season in that post. They've got the same offensive coordinator as last year, which is Marcus Brady. Last year was his first year as OC after Nick Sirianni left for Philadelphia, but he's been on Frank Reich's staff every year in Indianapolis. So you know, continuity there as well, where there's not continuity as a quarterback. Every single season of Frank Reich in Indy has had a different lead quarterback. It was Andrew Luck the first year, then Jacoby Brissett after the Luck retirement, then Philip Rivers, then Carson Wentz, now Matt Ryan. 
they've still been mostly a winning team 10 and 6 7 and 9 11 and 5 9 and 8 in the four seasons under Reich so far we've also seen the pass run splits jump all over the place as you would imagine looking at those quarterbacks that they've had so far they were fifth in situation neutral pass rate back in that Andrew Luck season with Reich's first year with the team 30th in 2019 with Jacoby Brissett, 14th in 2020 with Philip Rivers, 23rd last year with Carson Wentz. Even if we look back to when Reich was the OC in Philly, the Eagles went sixth in situa- situation neutral pass rate in 2017, 14th in 2016. So I think it's tough to nail down right where he wants to be. And I think the takeaway is probably that he's willing to mold things to what he has to work with. Yeah, I mean, those Eagles teams didn't have Jonathan Taylor. I think that's the big difference here. Um, like you said, 23rd in neutral pass rate last year, 14th the year before with Rivers. Maybe they settle in between those. I would still bet on them being closer to the you know 23rd place they were last year, just again, because they have you know the, the best running back in the NFL who's just entering his third year. I think they're going to continue to lean on Jonathan Taylor. I, I projected the Colts at 53.5% pass, which would be up a percentage point from last season. I've got them at 55.5% pass, 44.5% run. It matches where they were in 2020 with Phillip Rivers. I wonder if the, how good the team is going to be overall. So I, I think they'll have to throw the ball a bit more. I think they probably want to throw the ball a bit more, and that's why they changed quarterbacks again this offseason. Uh, it was the league's fifth most run-heavy offense, so we're still talking about a run lean here. I don't know how much two percentage points really matter, especially when we're talking projections in that range. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and, and we'll get to Matt Ryan here. There has been some positive buzz on him. I do think he's an upgrade over over Carson Wentz. Um, the pass catching core is still pretty thin and weak, though. So, again, I, I mean, I think we agree that Jonathan Taylor is going to remain the, the focal point of the, of the offense. Yeah, for sure. I'm certainly not betting on the team going pass happy because they won't be very happy if they do. Mm-hmm. Quarterback Matt Ryan, as I said, makes the fifth different lead QB under Frank Reich in Indy. They traded just a third-round pick for him. Less than they gave for Carson Wentz the year before, but Matt Ryan also comes with a huge contract. So I'm sure that factored in to the trade price. Atlanta was looking to unload him for that reason. Touchdown rates of 4.2% or lower in three straight years now for Matt Ryan. His yards per pass attempt have also been down the past three years versus his norm. So he's been a guy that can kind of bounce back and forth in those two categories You would expect a guy at his age to be trending down there, though, and certainly things have gotten worse in terms of what he has to work with as Julio Jones first wound down and then left Atlanta last year. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much interest in in Ryan as a fantasy option. We'll get to his ADP later, but I think he's going too high. Um, I I again, though, I do think he's an upgrade for this offense over Carson Wentz. I mean, it, it was a rough season for Ryan last year, but it was a Bad Falcons team. He, you know, lost Kelvin Ridley for most of the season. He still completed 67% of his passes. Um, he was 15th in adjusted completion rate, 14th in PFF passing grade. Carson Wentz was 28th in adjusted completion rate and 20th in PFF passing grade. So Ryan beat him in both of those metrics. So, you know, again, I'm not interested in Ryan as a standalone fantasy play, but I do think he helps uh, Michael Pittman. He helps Jonathan Taylor just, you know, making his offense a bit better than it was last year, I think. I agree. Should be better for the Colts offensive pieces than he is for fantasy players. On to running back. Ryan should be good for running back target shares as well. I don't want to overrate it too much because the team still had the seventh highest uh, running back target share in the league last season, but it was down two and a half percentage points from the year before. They were fifth highest in 2020 with Phillip Rivers there. Uh, It's a more important factor for Naheem Hines, certainly, than Jonathan Taylor. But I think the switch will be good for that factor. Yeah, I could see Hines being a bit more productive than he was last year. I mean, you know, last year he was 
basically a non-factor in fantasy. Even in PPR points, he finished just 48th among running backs, and he, he only had three top 24 scoring weeks. He actually Hines actually set a career low in target share last year, 10.9%. Career low in route rate, he ran a route on just 37% of the Colts' passing snaps. And I just think that's the Jonathan Taylor effect. Like, you know, Hines is – you know, Hines still beat JT in PFF receiving grade and yards per route run. But, like, you know, the Colts just don't want to pull Jonathan Taylor off the field too often. I think that's going to remain the case this season. So I'm not super interested in Naheem Hines in, in any format. I would agree on not being super interested in Naheem Hines, but it is easy to forget after the way last year went that the Colts just extended him early last year at $6 million per year. So they clearly like him. Frank Reich has said since last season ended that he wants much more for Naheem Hines this season. He even said, quote, if I was a fantasy owner, I'd consider drafting Naheem. (laughs) Now, I'm going to bet that Frank Reich has never played in a fantasy league, so I'm not going to use that as fodder for where I project Hines, but I do think that it signals him getting more use this year. You know, I I, I still stop well short of being excited, but I would expect some level of bounce back for Hines. Yeah, me too. Um, I I just don't know what his value is really in fantasy. Like it's, he's a guy, it's tough to trust in lineup setting leagues. Again, he doesn't give you a big ceiling in best ball. And then, you know, even if Jonathan Taylor gets hurt, I don't think Hines is going to see, you know, a, a, a big, big workload boost. Um, so it's not even like a, a super attractive handcuff. See, I think that he's a player type that you don't expect to get that, but they don't have a whole lot else in that backfield. So sure, if Jonathan yeah. Taylor were to go down, I think we would probably see more of a passing lean overall, but I do think that we would get a, a pretty big carry boost for Hines unless they add something between now and the beginning of the season, or, you know, in the case that Taylor went down, I could easily see them bringing in something, but it's tough to, imagine them bringing in a running back in October that's a better runner than Naheem Hines is. So I, I think there's probably, I agree that he's not a, a straight handcuff for Jonathan Taylor, but I do think there's some handcuff boost. Yeah. I mean, he's just small, you know, he's 196 pounds. I think you're looking at, you know, something like 10 carries a game and then, you know, maybe a handful of targets per game if Jonathan Taylor were to miss time. So Hines would be useful. You know, I just, he just wouldn't become an RB one, but you know, mm-hmm. but you can say about some of the other, you know, handcuffs you're drafting in that range. He's at least got me by a few pounds when I'm going well with the uh, reading. <laughs> Jonathan Taylor was pretty good last year, in case you didn't hear. Uh, the question for me, because, you know, there's no real point in running through the things he did well. We all know that's why he's at the top of drafts right now. The question for me is that touchdown rate. And I think it's especially important for him. Over the past 10 years, we've only had one instance of a player posting two straight seasons with at least 223 carries and a touchdown rate of 5% or better. He was up above 7% last year. So I think Jonathan Taylor is well set up to be on the high end of touchdown rate, but I also think he's in a range where losing a couple percentage points off of that, which is just sheer luck either way. Yeah. It could affect him more than it will. than it might other guys who have more receiving upside than he does. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, you're not projecting him to score 18 rushing touchdowns again, but Taylor did have 16.2 expected rushing touchdowns. That was easily the highest in the league. The next highest was James Conner at 11 expected rushing touchdowns. Taylor easily led the league in carries inside the 10-yard line, carries inside the five-yard line. Now, there is some luck even to that, right? Like, you know, your 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 receiver gets tackled at the three or there's, you know, pass interference penalties in the end zone, whatever it is. So all that probably takes a step back. But, I mean, you know, again, he's – Obviously, I, I think the most talented runner in the NFL, um, he's going to get the vast majority of that goal line work. And I still think this is going to be a good offense. Again, it might be even better than last year with Matt Ryan at the helm. So, I, I, you know, I would still bet on Taylor leading the NFL in rushing touchdowns, even if he's not going to score another 18 of them. 
Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about Jonathan Taylor's fantasy outlook, it's just should I take him or Christian McCaffrey or Cooper Cup at the top of the draft? Yeah. And yeah. it's close enough that you can make an argument for any of them. I think overall, it depends on the format. Full PPR, as I've said before, I'd lean Cooper Cup as my most frequent pick among the three. I'd probably lean Christian McCaffrey uh, a little bit more than Jonathan Taylor as the next one. But if somebody's like, no, it's Jonathan Taylor for me, and like yeah. that, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, t- to me, the biggest you know, surprise about Taylor's 2021 was the usage he got in the passing game. I mean, that was kind of the question coming into last season, but he ended up finishing 17th among running backs and targets, 21st in catches, 13th in receiving yards. His target share went up from uh, 7.7% as a rookie to nearly 10% last year. So, you know, those aren't elite numbers, but if he can just do that again on top of the massive rushing work, you know, that's kind of all you need. Yeah, nearly matched Naheem Hines in that category last year. So, you know, if there is more for Naheem Hines, he's either going to need to take on some slot receiver duties or he's going to have to take some from Jonathan Taylor. So that'll be something to watch. If he does take any from Taylor, again, that's another one of those kind of hairs you split that hurts his value because he's at the top of the draft. No overall concerns, though, for Jonathan Taylor. So I don't really want to overstate the negative case for him. Pass catchers, it's Michael Pittman and then some question marks beyond that. Michael Pittman... You know, it depends on what you consider a breakout season. He might well have had his breakout season last year, dominated the team in target share in red zone target share in his second season in the league, finished wide receiver 17 in PPR was just wide receiver 27 in points per game though. So part of that was staying healthy the whole season wide receiver 26 and half PPR points per game. He was an efficient pass catcher despite dealing with an inefficient quarterback. Yeah. And you know, did that despite playing on a Colts team that finished 27th in the NFL in pass attempts. Uh, Pittman was able to finish 14th among wide receivers in targets because of that big target share. So, you know, if we expect the Colts to throw it a bit more this season and Pittman can hang on to that target share, which I think he can because, you know, the competition isn't any stronger. It might be weaker than you know, the Colts lost to you by Hilton and, and Zach Pascal. Um, we'll talk about some of the guys they added and getting back from injury and all that. But I think Pittman should have a similar target share. Maybe they throw more. Maybe he's more efficient with Matt Ryan. I, mean, I think Pittman's probably still ascending. You know, He's entering his third season. He was 19th among receivers in both yards per route run and PFF pa- uh, receiving grade last year. So just good player who's you know going to get a bunch of targets on a, you know offense that, and in a passing game that might be even better this season. So definitely interested in Pittman. We'll talk more about his price tag, which I don't love but I think he's a pretty safe bet to, you know, give you a top 20 production. Yeah. There is some talk that they might still want to bring back T Y Hilton. So we'll see where that happens. I don't think that really moves the needle either way for uh, Michael Pittman at this point in their respective careers. The other wide receivers of note here, rookie Alec Pierce, veteran Paris Campbell, who has played only slightly more games in the NFL than Alec Pierce has because of injuries (laughs) over his few seasons. It's really, it's more a question of cost than ability. I think with these guys, they're both cheap enough that I don't know how much it matters to run through how good or bad they are. Cause they're going at the why not range really. Yeah. yeah well, I want to talk about Pierce a little bit. Cause he was, you know, one of my guys heading into the draft and he got round two draft capital, which I like to see. He was the 12th wide receiver off the board. So I don't want to like overrate it. You know, the NFL wasn't that in love with him and his college production was just okay. I liked the tape though. I mean, I think he's really good in contested catch situations. He actually played basketball and volleyball in high school and he, you know, plays football like that too. He goes up and gets those, those uh, jump balls really That's good. In the, in the profile. Yeah, exactly. Mike Kosecki at a, at wide receiver PFF had him as the 27th best deep ball receiver among 275 qualifiers in college football. You know, I saw like Marvin Jones to his game, that type of player. And, you know, Marvin Jones was never like a true number one, true target hog, but he had some nice 
fantasy seasons because he could, you know, give you high yards per catch and he could give you touchdowns. And I think, you know, that's kind of the upside that, that Alec Pierce has. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't bet on Alec Pierce turning into a number one receiver at any point, but there it's fine if you can be something like Marvin Jones. And there's already been talk of him looking good in uh, red zone slash end zone drills in spring workouts. So, you know, there's there's some upside here and there's certainly opportunity, which is a key thing. And that's the thing working for Paris Campbell as well. Frank Reich has talked him up in the past. I don't know that there's strong chatter this offseason um, but again, there's opportunity there. There are going to be some targets available, especially when we're looking best ball. You know, there's enough upside to at least make them viable considerations. Yeah, and Campbell was an interesting guy coming out. I mean, he was a second round pick too. Um, you know, had a 90 catch season at Ohio State in his final year. Ran the four uh, four three one second 40 time at the combine. Um, so interesting guy. We just we just haven't seen any of him. He's played 15 games across his first three seasons because of a whole bunch of injuries, but definitely worth keeping an eye on. And again, like you said, he's going late enough. We can take some shots. Right. Odds are against him breaking out from here, but you know, at least worth not forgetting about tight end might be worth forgetting about in Indy. They did re-sign Mo Ali Cox and he looks like the lead guy because of that, a three year, $17.6 million extension, which surprised me heading into free agency, nearly half of that guaranteed. So it's basically two guaranteed seasons from Mo Ali Cox, who is heading into his age 29 season. It's him, it's Kylan Granson, and they also drafted Jelani Woods. I- I'm going to not expect too much from Jelani Woods in his first season, but it was just a yeah. year ago that there was some positive buzz on Kylan Granson, Jared, and it already seems like everybody forgot he exists. Yeah, we shouldn't forget he exists. But I don't know, the Colts' actions this offseason tell me, you know, they weren't thrilled with what they saw from him, I guess, as a rookie, you know, drafting Woods, like you said, and then extending Mo Alecac. So, so we'll see. I mean, Frank Reich's offenses have targeted tight ends at an above average rate, but at least with the Colts, like it's been committees at tight end. Eric Ebron is the only tight end under Reich in Indianapolis to top 72 targets in a season. So like the group as a whole has gotten a lot of looks, but no, no individual really has besides Ebron that one year. And that, you know, that could certainly be the case again this season when we have, you know, three guys that could be in the mix. And I believe it took Jack Doyle missing a lot of games that season, didn't it? I think you're right. Yeah, it was 2018. So, you know, they gave the money to Mo Ali Cox. I'm sure he is at least a comfy option for them. It might be based significantly on, you know, tough to know for sure, but it might it might be based quite a bit on how they like him as a blocker. Um, mm-hmm. And then that just allows the younger guys to see what they can become. So, you know, you don't want to overrate the contract. Really, it's just the presence of all three of them that stops me from being too interested in any of them for fantasy. I know I'm kind of off Moelle Cox this year after liking him as a, you know, deep sleeper the last couple of years. So I hope I'm not jumping off, you know, at the, at the wrong time, but um, yeah, just, just a, a lot of guys there. Mm-hmm. And again, I do think, you know, Michael Pittman's going to, you know, soak up, you know, a quarter of this team's target. So it kind of makes it tougher any tight end to, to break out under that situation. Good example though, of where you don't want to, stick too much to your own bias when the team says we don't want Mo Ali Cox to go anywhere. We're going to go ahead and pay him to stick around. I know the, you mentioned the tight end target shares under Reich. They went in his four seasons. They've gone 26.1%, 27.5%, 21.7%, and then 19.8% last year. That's I think, especially disappointing given that we had a letdown season from Naheem Hines. We had a bad wide receiver core around Michael Pittman. So even with that yeah. going on, the Colts weren't really going to their tight ends. You know, maybe some of that was Carson Wentz and where he likes to throw the ball, but you know, just overall, it's not a position that needs to present some fantasy value to us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even the tight end target share last year, though, was right around league average. Um, so again, I, I do think there's going to be enough to go around for these tight ends, but if it's, you know, split two or three ways, uh, none of them are going to be fantasy factors. 
ADP is Matt Ryan is at QB 20 and you don't like him there, right? No, I mean, I just, I don't, I just don't see the upside. You know, he's going to give you nothing rushing again. It's kind of a weak pass catching core, at least, you know, depth wise. And I still think it's going to be a run heavy offense. So there's, you know, Daniel Jones is going like in the same area and he's much less safe than Matt Ryan, but I think he has much more season long and weekly upside. Why would you take Matt Ryan more than a round ahead of Mac Jones? There's no difference between them, I think, in terms of what the upside is. And we don't know yet what the ceiling is for current Mac Jones versus current Matt Ryan. So I would much rather wait and take him, maybe even Zach Wilson, maybe even another quarterback from this division that we haven't gotten to yet. Yep. Agreed. So I agree. I'm not on Matt Ryan where he's going right now. Even if I have Michael Pittman, I'm not going to overdo it there. Uh, running back, Jonathan Taylor is, of course, number one overall in ADP. Certainly fair after what he did last season. Naheem Hines is RB45. I think that's fair as well. Within a round ahead of him, Rashad White, Damian Pierce, Isaiah Spiller, Daryl Henderson, Michael Carter is just behind him. So I think he really fits into that range. Yeah, I don't I don't really like Hines again. I just I don't see what value he brings in any format, really. Like in you know, in best ball, he's not going to give you the, the spike weeks again. Even in full PPR last year, he only had three top 24 weeks. Um, I'd rather just, I'd rather take one of those handcuffs who, you know, could be a real difference maker if, if things break right. I agree. I like, if I'm looking running back here, then I like him more than Damian Pierce, but otherwise uh, I'm probably forcing, oh, I like him better than Michael Carter too, because I think Naheem Hines is a better version of what Michael Carter is. But otherwise I'm taking... Um, either, you know, Rashad White, Isaiah Spiller, Daryl Henderson. I say that not even being a, a real fan of Spiller's prospect profile, but just him being with the Chargers. Yeah. I think there's a higher ceiling for him if the starter goes down than there is for Hines. Exactly. Yep. Wide receiver Michael Pittman at 14 among wideouts. Alec Pierce, 74. Paris Campbell, 77. I agree with what you kind of alluded to earlier. Michael Pittman. A little bit high. I'm not saying he's out of consideration at wide receiver 14, yeah. but he doesn't stand out as a value. I mean, he's he's wide receiver 14 in our full PPR rankings. He's wide receiver 16 and half PPR. So he's not priced poorly. I just I don't know if there is much ceiling for Michael Pittman beyond that, just because, again, this offense is going to run through Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, like DJ Moore is right behind him in underdog ADP. I think there's a higher ceiling to DJ Moore yeah. if he just gets – you know, lucky on touchdowns. So it's, it's a fair range. I wish he were going a little bit later because I would like to have more Michael Pittman, but I, I'm not going crazy at that level. Yep. Agreed. What about Alec Pierce and Paris Campbell? Yeah. Pier- I'm more interested in Pierce. Again, I think the type, you know, his, his player archetype is better, especially talking best bogs. I think if he gets on the field and I, I there's a you know clear path for him to be the you know other outside wide receiver opposite Michael Pittman. So if he, if he gets those snaps, I think he could be a guy who, you know, scores six touchdowns this season. And if he does that, you know, he's going to be a profit at that price tag. If you've been drafting all offseason, Paris Campbell spent quite a bit of time in the 90s among wide receivers in ADP. And at that point, I was taking him at the very end of drafts when we're talking like 20 round drafts and he's eighth, ninth, maybe even 10th wide receiver, depending on what we're looking at. So that was nice. Wide receiver 77 doesn't stand out. I agree. I, between them, I would prefer Pierce. Really not taking much of either guy at this point. And then tight end, Moali Cox is tight end 29. Jelani Woods is tight end 43. Kylan Granson, suddenly non-existent, as I mentioned. <laughs> I think certainly Moali Cox is fine at that price. Between the other two, I'd much rather take Kylan Granson just because nobody's taking him. So if I'm choosing between two you know young raw tight ends i'm going to take the one that's on barely any teams versus the one that's at least registering at tight end 43 
Yeah, that's fair. I'm not taking either an underdog right now. I guess, you know, until we hear some positive buzz in camp, I do think maybe an FFPC with the tight end premium, you could take a shot in one of those guys with your last pick. Moelle Cox, I think is fine at tight end 29. Like again, maybe I shouldn't be throwing in the towel on him quite yet, but even just the fact that he's what, like six, eight, like he could score six or seven touchdowns one of these seasons and it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be super surprising. Right. So let's move on from the Colts to the Jaguars, who I think we're probably both more excited about than either of the two teams we covered already. So, Jared, why don't you tell me first about the coaching changes, which are probably the greatest reason to be excited about this team versus last year. Yeah, I mean, I think to me, the Jags and the Giants have like the two biggest coaching upgrades heading into this season. So for for Jacksonville, you know, Urban Meyer, the dumpster fire clown show, whatever you want to call it, he's gone. Um, it's going to be head coach Doug Peterson, offensive coordinator Press Taylor. It's it's going to be Peterson's office, I think. You know, he is an offensive minded guy. Um, he spent three seasons as Chiefs offensive coordinator under Andy Reid in 2013, 14, and 15, and then most recently five seasons as the Eagles head coach from 2016 to 2020. A few, I think, noteworthy. Uh, bits of information from uh, Peterson's time as the Eagles head coach. Um, all five of those teams finished top eight in play volume. They averaged 67 offensive plays per game under Peterson. The Jags last year averaged just 60 and a half offensive plays per game. Those 29th in the NFL. So one of the reasons I like Jacksonville's offense is because I think you're, we're going to get a bunch more plays this season. Also all five of Peterson's Eagles teams finished top 14 in situation neutral pass rate. By comparison, the Jags last year were 21st in situation neutral pass rate. So I'm projecting at least a slight increase in pass rate for Jacksonville too this season. So, you know, more plays, more passing. I think this offense could definitely take a nice step forward uh, with Urban Meyer gone. I tend to give new coaches a chance, no matter what I think of where they're coming from and say, I guess we'll see what happens. But as soon as Jacksonville announced that they were hiring Urban Meyer, I was like, what? The guy that was out of football and has only ever been at college and has lots of questions behind him, even at that level. And I mean, I think clown show would be a rude (laughs) thing to call that for clowns because they're at least entertaining and they're trying to entertain you, whether even if you aren't entertained, that was just an absolute mess from the start and it went even worse than anybody who was opposed to urban Meyer probably could have guessed. So this is a huge upgrade in just competence for the team. And it helps me be excited and especially helps me that it's Doug Peterson who already went to Philly and, you know, built them up to the first super bowl title already got a young quarterback ready to go right away. Carson Wentz was, you know, basically Davis mills, from an even lower level of competition and got taken second overall and started right away and was a very good quarterback early on before things started to go poorly for him. So I I don't think that Jacksonville could have done much better. We'll see how it goes because I, you know, the jury's always out on all these guys, but I don't think Jacksonville really could have done a whole lot better in terms of choosing the next guy to try to come in and fix what urban Meyer broke last season. For sure. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I'm, willing to bet on a bounce back from Trevor Lawrence, despite what, you know, there's, there's really nothing you you can point to in Lawrence's rookie season and be excited about. I mean, he wasn't really useful in fantasy. He finished just 22nd in uh, fantasy points among quarterbacks. He was 28th among 31 qualifiers in PFF passing grade, but I'm just kind of giving him a mulligan for the season, you know, playing under urban Meyer and having to, to deal with that. I mean, Lawrence was, as close to a can't miss prospect as we get coming out of Clemson. We'll talk about some of the weapons that the Jags added for him. So I think his pass catching core is stronger. I mean, Travis Etienne didn't play at all 
last year. He's going to get him back as well. You know, he's a really strong pass catcher out of the backfield. And then even the rushing stuff that we, you know, sort of talked about with Lawrence heading into his rookie season, we got that last year, you know, 73 carries, 334 yards rushing. He was fifth among quarterbacks in carries and seventh in rushing yards. So if he keeps, keeps giving us that, I do think he'll take a step forward as a passer this season. Lawrence has been one of my, my favorite targets in, you know, quarterback two range and drafts. Yeah, we'll get more to him in a sec, but the run pass split projection first, I went 61-39 in, in favor of the pass. That's right around where Jacksonville was last year. It's also right around where Doug Peterson was over his last three years in Philly. It just seems yeah. like when you consider a team that's still likely to be south of 500 and what they have going on there, I would expect this to be one of the more pass-leaning teams in the league. Yep, right. They're 61%. Yeah, I agree. They're going to be trailing plenty still, I think. Um, and again, when your lead back is going to be Travis Etienne, who's not going to be a high volume ball carrier, but, but he's excellent in the pass game. I think that, that's going to push you towards the pass. Quarterback Trevor Lawrence, as you said, not a whole lot to go on from last year. Yeah, not, not even like bright spots where you can say he did that well. Yeah. He had one top 10 fantasy week all season. So right now you either need to say, I'm going to forget last year because that was as bad a situation as he could have gotten into. Or you need to say collectively, we were all wrong about how good a prospect he is historically. We'll see the, the ADP is just naturally going to keep him below the previous expectation. So we don't have to worry too much about that, but you're either giving up on him or giving him a mulligan right now. Um, As you said, there was mediocre surrounding talent last year as well. Travis Etienne, went down before the season. DJ Chark went down early in the season. Marvin Jones, LaVisca Chenault were the target leaders for that team. Even Dan Arnold, who arrived during the season, then had injury issues that knocked him out. So not a whole lot to work with. So I, there's, I, I don't know really if there's much to assess on what we can expect for Trevor Lawrence going forward. I think I just have to go on. He looked like a really good prospect and things yep. are bound to be better this season. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible that we were all wrong about Lawrence and he's going to end up being a bust. But I just think it's much more likely that he just struggled as a rookie in what was a you know, dysfunctional organization. So he, he's someone I'm going to going to bet on, especially because his his price de- definitely factors in at least some of his struggles last year. Yeah. And I mean, we're not going to dive all the way into ADP, but at QB 18, I don't think you even need to like him. I think you need to say, yeah. well, what if I'll take him as my second quarterback there? or like even a late QB one in a super flex build. I've got a lot of Trevor Lawrence so far. So if he has a really good year, I might be in nicer clothes when we're doing podcasts next year. Same. Yeah. I mean, again, he finished quarterback 22 last year. So you know, his floor is, I don't think much lower than where he's being drafted at. And that was largely because of the rushing. But again, I think that rushing is going to remain. I won't be in nicer clothes, by the way, no matter how much money I win this season. Running back, Travis Etienne is the big guy coming back. And since we didn't see him at all last year, it's still worth noting what he did in college, which was average 7.2 yards per carry for his career, 11.3 yards per reception across four seasons at Clemson. Not a carry dominator for those Tigers teams, but was the carry leader among running backs all four of those years. His receiving increased every year at Clemson. That got up to the point where he caught 85 balls, averaged 12 yards per catch over his final two seasons, of course, played with Trevor Lawrence there that can only help him going forward. Yeah. Uh, ETN tested well pre-draft too. I mean, he's not, you know, again, I don't think he's going to be a high volume ball carrier, but he is 215 pounds. So I think he can handle, you know, 15 or so carries per game ran the four, four, five, 40 yard dash at the combine gave him a, you know, well above average speed score, which we like to see 91st percentile relative athletic score. So he was a awesome looking prospect coming in, you know, missed off last season with the foot injury, but um, lots of positive reports on his health 
this spring. We, you know, we've seen some videos of him working out. He, he looks to be a hundred percent, which we can't say about his backfield mate, James Robinson, who we'll get to next. So, you know, ETN has every chance to open the season as Jackson, Jacksonville's lead back exactly how much, you know, ball carrying volume he's going to get, I think is a question, but you know, he, I think he's ready to go and he's going to be a, you know, big part of this passing game at a minimum. He's probably in line to get more carries than he really should. If we're talking about optimizing his size and style, but we like that for fantasy. And as you mentioned, the backfield around him is another mark in his favor. James Robinson tore his left Achilles tendon on December 26th. Um, We just saw a guy that tried to come back from an Achilles tear, you know, earlier Cam Akers was six months removed from that and was not nowhere close to his normal self. We'll get more than that recovery timeline for James Robinson, but I'm not expecting real. I'm not expecting anything close to James Robinson this season. He's been an absolute do not draft for me. Yeah. I mean, Achilles injuries, I think are worse than ACLs, you know, so I'm not sure Robinson's going to be ready for, the start of the season, if he is, I think you might see, you know, something like we got from Cam Akers where, you know, that explosion is just not there and the efficiency is not what it was pre-injury. So we'll see, you know, he'll be, he'll be a guy to watch early in training camp and, you know, we'll, we'll see how he progresses. Um, and again, you know, brand new coaching staff here too. So, you know, Peterson and, and Press Taylor have no you know ties to ETN or James Robinson. So I think, you know, the, the work's definitely up for grabs. And I think that's good for ETN just because, you know, he's going to be the healthier guy when we get to camp. I'm not a doctor or a PT or even an athletic trainer, but it just makes sense that an Achilles would be especially important to a running back who relies pretty heavily on being able to have that explosive first step, you know, being able to spring forward off of that. And that's just got to be at full strength and also then built up, you know, beyond where normal people need it to be able to succeed at running back. So it's just, it's difficult for me to imagine a running back who already wasn't a supreme athlete versus other NFL running backs you know, getting back to a a level where he's going to be what we can expect, you know, what we've seen him be so far. It's, it's tough for me to imagine James Robinson being anything close to what he was the past two seasons this year. Snoop Connor is the next guy in the backfield. We assume we'll see how things play out this summer, but he's a rookie. I think he's more interesting for his opportunity than for the ability he brings. You know, we can argue about how much it matters, how good a running back is, but This is a guy who caught 32 total passes over three seasons at Ole Miss. No more than 130 carries any year. Cracked 100 carries only once. Above average speed score, but not to an elite level, 66th percentile. So a a fine-looking player who's in ostensibly good opportunity, but, you know, just the collection is just another reason to like Travis Etienne, I think. For sure, yeah. I mean, Connor's got size on his size. He's 222 pounds, but fifth-round pick, like you said, you know, underwhelming underlying metrics too, you know, PFF rushing grade and elusive rating and missed tackles for us in college weren't great. So I think Jacksonville might still add to this backfield if they're, you know, not happy with how Robinson's coming along from his Achilles. Yeah. I I think that Travis Etienne could do Austin Eckler type stuff. Obviously he's got to go a ways to get the usage near the goal line that Austin Eckler gets, but just in terms mm-hmm. of general usage in carries in target share, I, I think Austin Eckler is, you know, a reasonable ceiling. I'm not saying he's going to be Austin yeah. Eckler this year, but he could be Austin Eckler. It's, it's worth remembering that ETN was a first round pick and you can say that he belonged in round two, but that's still well ahead of where Austin Eckler entered yeah. the league. Austin Eckler on a considerably worse offense, but I think that's, that's a fair comparison. I mean, you know, Alvin Kamara was, was my comparison for ETN coming into the NFL and just, you know, that, that type of player archetype. And I think he could get that type of volume, you know, 12 or so carries per game, but, a, but a whole bunch of work in the receiving game, which, which is awesome in fantasy. 
Yep. Without younger Mark Ingram around. So yes. On to the pass catchers that aren't named Travis Etienne and Jacksonville. We've got Marvin Jones and LaVisca Chenault, as I mentioned, were the top two in targets last year and by a pretty wide margin with the injuries around them. Even then it was just 19.9% target share for Jones, 16.6% for Chenault. The team has since, you know, in addition to the new coaches, imported Christian Kirk in free agency, Zay Jones in free agency, Evan Ingram there as well. Christian Kirk's been pretty good, but not stellar through four seasons. Was surprising to see him get as much money as he did. You know, free agency is always going to exploit that some. Went from a career low slot rate in 2020 to a career high in 2021. You know, we'll see what Jacksonville's plan for him is, but Christian Kirk looks most like a primary slot receiver among Jacksonville's projected top three at the position. I think maybe the biggest question on that specific front is whether LaVisca Chenault can kind of force his way into consideration there. Yeah, that was one of the more surprising deals of free agency, but Kirk got four years, $72 million. And it was, it was like one of the first signings of free agency too, wasn't it? So like, it seems like Jacksonville kind of targeted Christian Kirk and was like, that's our guy. Um, yeah, so I, I would think Doug Peterson and staff definitely like him. I don't think he's worth what they gave him. I mean, I think you, know, you called him pretty good. I think that might even be generous. Like you look at you know, the fantasy finishes, he's never finished better than, than wide receiver 34 in PPR points per game, never better than 44th in PFF receiving grade. Actually, you know, he opened his career with nice target shares in Arizona, he, uh, 19% as a rookie, 23% in year two. But then he's been down to, you know, 15.5% and 17.5% the last couple seasons. So again, I, he doesn't excite me as a player, but I like this offense. I think the money he got says that Jacksonville is going to want to get him the football and he's cheap enough in draft. So I actually have, I have been taking a, a decent amount of Christian Kirk. And I think it's worth just going ahead and jumping into ADPs because I think that's the biggest mark in favor of any of these pass catchers yeah. that we just mentioned. So we, we talked about Trevor Lawrence already at QB 18, and that's the first step is you get the quarterback with upside to himself at this nice price. Let's go to receivers before we talk about running backs, because Christian Kirk is the top Jacksonville wideout in ADP at wide receiver 43 on underdog. So you don't have to like him to think he's okay at that level, especially if you're taking Trevor Lawrence at a high rate, as Jared and I both said that we are Marvin Jones, wide receiver, 71 Zay Jones, wide receiver, 92 Chenault at wide receiver, 96. So, I mean, all of them are like at, at why not levels. Yeah, definitely my favorite cheap stack. Um, you didn't even mention Evan Ingram, right? Who is tight end yeah. 22, which I think, you know, might, that might be the, biggest value on this team we, we can talk about him but um yeah again I just, I just like I think this offense in in general could surprise and these guys are all going cheaply like Christian Kirk you know wide receiver 43 I don't even like the guy that much but he's you know five or six spots higher than that in our wide receiver rankings and then yeah Marvin Jones and especially Zay Jones contract he got says you know he's probably going to be one of this team's you know top three wide receivers and he's you know he's going undrafted a lot of times at underdog so he, he's a great you know, 18th round pick if you have these Jack stacks. Yeah, they gave him a contract about $8 million a year. You can get into the details and figure out what it's actually paying him, but they clearly paid him to be a part of the offense. And he's going at a level where you don't have to say he's definitely going to be as big a part of the offense as his contract says he is. So it, it's tough for me to not draft Zay Jones at times. It's difficult for me to leave any drafts without Zay Jones <laughs> on my roster just because there's no reason not to. And I mean, once we get past best ball, and well, not past. I don't know if we're ever going to move past it. But <laughs> as we get more of our drafts being teams that we're going to set lineups throughout the season, yeah. 
I won't see a, a reason not to take Zay Jones on every team at that point, because once we get there, if he's not doing anything, you drop him for something early in the season and you lose nothing. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't want to talk up Zay Jones too much, um, but I, I think there's a chance he's even this team's number two wide receiver. Cause I'm a bit concerned about Marvin Jones at this point of his career. Um, you know, Jones turned 32 years old in March and he's coming off his uh, worst PFF receiving grade since his rookie year back in 2012. So there's definitely a chance that, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing the end of Marvin Jones. And if that's the case, again, you know, Zay Jones should be the number two wide receiver on this offense that we like. And the other factor about this group where we don't love any of the wideouts is that maybe it's just an entire group that settles in between yeah. 19 and like 15% in target share. And sure, yeah. that's going to get frustrating during the season. But if you're setting, you know, a third receiver on a team that waited on wideouts or a fourth receiver, even just looking for bi week fill ins or injury insurance, like, if we can get that out of the guy we took at the very end of the draft, meaning Zay Jones, it's just it's a, a sensible pick. Yep, for sure. He's an interesting case because he finished last season on this hot streak, which was much different than what the rest of his career was before that. So he's mm-hmm. the kind of player that if he's then boosted in ADP, I'm saying I, I don't want that because yeah. recent bias is helping him. But instead, everybody has been ignoring him since then. And he's even fallen down despite hitting the free market and getting that money from Jacksonville. So I'm not saying this to talk him up further, but as kind of an archetype that you just because you head into draft season expecting not to like a guy, make sure that you don't lose sight of the reality on that guy and be open to changing your opinion of him based on what's going on. Yeah, Zay Jones is what he was an early second round pick, right? Like he, he had a pretty nice prospect for, profile coming in. Was obviously mostly disappointing with the Raiders, but you know he, he did catch forty one balls over the final ten games of last season. He had like a middling PFF grade over that span. So again, I don't think he's like some guy ready to break out now in his fifth year or whatever it is. But um, I, I do think he's set up to get a good amount of playing time in, in this offense. Certainly more interesting for best ball where we don't have to decide that we're going to start him. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and running backs before we get away from this team, Travis Etienne, RB 16. He's now up to the end of round three in underdog drafts. He's also been climbing on FFPC in those big money drafts. So yeah. everybody collectively is liking him, even though we haven't gotten to the point of training camp buzz and preseason big plays jumping in. Yeah, he's getting pricey for me, especially on underdog where it's just half PPR. I still like him on FFPC getting the full, point per reception if I can get him you know anywhere in the back half of the third round love if I can get him in the fourth round but he we'll, we'll keep an eye on his um his ADP because you know there's been some buzz on him but there hasn't been a ton if we get the camp and you know if we get a bunch of ETM buzz I, I could you know see him climbing into the you know, first half of round three yeah he could definitely he could get crazy in price especially once we get into those big FFPC tournaments where people want to differentiate they want to get their guys so it'll be worth watching I think he's still at a fair level but I liked him better when he was in the RB20s in ADP James Robinson RB53 a don't touch at all player for me even though that's down a bit from when he was in the 40s Snoop Connor RB74 you know if you feel like stashing him fine because of the opportunity not a target player for me either no yeah it's just ETN for me among these Jacks RBs my biggest issue has been to make sure I don't take too many Jaguars pass catchers with Trevor Lawrence <laughs> and trying to figure out exactly what that number is with who's there. I think Dan Arnold is worth throwing out as just like a very end of underdog draft stash on a Trevor Lawrence team because he's an Evan Ingram injury away from having a pretty yeah. significant role. And, you know, maybe 
amid all of this uncertainty at wide receiver guys, we don't love, you know, maybe there's room for a couple of tight ends to at least have relevant weeks. So I think Dan Arnold, not a target player because of Evan Ingram's arrival, but a guy to not forget about. Yeah. Arnold's a nice player. I mean, he, you know, flashed at times in Arizona, um, even back in his uh, saints days, I think the start of his career. And then, you know, he had some decent games with Jacksonville last year. So I, I like the player, um, you know, the fact that this new coaching staff went out and signed Evan Ingram tells me, you know, that they want him to be the guy, but Doug Peterson's Eagles teams, they averaged a 32% target share to tight ends versus, you know, NFL average is around 20%. Now, now, you know, those teams had Zach Ertz and then Dallas Goddard for, you know, the final few seasons. So that definitely played a part in it. But again, the, the, the Jags went out and made a pretty big investment. You know, they gave Evan Ingram $9 million for this season. He's the 10th highest paid tight end for 2022. So I, I do think they want him to be a, a big part of this passing game. And then, yeah, you're right. If something happens to Evan Ingram, which has happened often, you know, throughout his NFL career, then it's going to be Dan Arnold in a, in a pretty good spot. Mm-hmm. Tennessee Titans to close out the AFC South. No coaching changes to speak of here. Mike Vrabel heads into his fifth year as head coach. So he arrived at the same time as Frank Reich and Indy winning record every season that included 2012 and five, not 20 and five. That would be insane. 12 and five last year, the AFC's top seed. It's the second season for offensive coordinator, Todd Downing, who took over after Arthur Smith left for the Atlanta job, probably wishes he were still back in Tennessee a uh, run pass split because I don't think the coaches are particularly interesting here. Run pass split for this team, you know it. It's it's a run heavy team. It's one of the most run heavy in the league. They were second most run heavy last year behind Philly. They were second most run heavy the year before behind Baltimore. I certainly would not expect that to change a whole lot after they traded away their top receiver in AJ Brown. So Jared, I projected this at fifty two to forty eight pass run. Let me see. I'm pulling up my Titans projections quick. Fifty two percent pass for me so we're in line there the one note i had here is you know we, we had arthur smith who was the titans oc lee for atlanta uh, last offseason todd downing came in as oc and the, the offense definitely took a step back they went from fourth in points in 2020 to 15th last year they went from second in yards to 17th last year and fourth in football outsiders offensive dvoa to 20th last year so you know losing arthur smith um definitely looks like it hurt this offense you know but we'll see if downing can can turn it around a bit in 2022 yeah, and I'll say maybe it hurt the offense because they also lost Derrick Henry for half a year. They lost yep. um, A.J. Brown for about a third of the season, and he wasn't at 100% for other games. They basically had no Julio Jones after yep. signing him. Yep. So this offense had lots of issues regardless of who was running it. Yeah, that's fair. Quarterback Ryan Tannehill is back. He finished QB 13 last season, QB 16 in points per game, was QB 11 in points per game each of the previous two years last year marked his worst passing touchdown rate since his rookie season, his fewest yards per pass attempt since 2014 lost AJ Brown. As I mentioned for four full games, most of a fifth game, half of another game beyond that barely really had Julio Jones. I probably never had full Julio Jones last season. Maybe there was that one game in Seattle, half a season of Derrick Henry, obviously Beyond, you know, just having your top running back that is bound to draw defensive attention away. So that's not going to help the quarterback. Ryan Tannehill, they just traded away A.J. Brown, but he might be in better shape at wide receiver overall now than he was last year. Last year's team had Nick Westbrook, Akeen, rank second on the team in targets. Now they have Traylon Burks from round one. They have Robert Woods via trade. They do have Westbrook, Akeen back. Uh, They signed Austin Hooper at tight end, probably an upgrade over Anthony Ferkser. Yeah, I think it's at least a deeper pass catching core than he had last year. Um, yeah, you mentioned the 
passing touchdown rate. I think that was the big thing. It was kind of an inevitable decline, I think, though, because Tannehill had, had been up at 7.2% passing touchdown rate in each of his first two seasons with the Titans. You know, NFL average is around 4.5%. So he was overachieving there, kind of fell back closer to average. The other thing that's been fueling Tannehill's fantasy production is the rushing touchdowns. He has four, seven, and seven over the past three seasons. He's actually third among all quarterbacks in rushing touchdowns over the past three seasons. And he's a he's a mobile guy. But he, he ranks 11th among quarterbacks and carries 11th in rushing yards. So he's still been overachieving in the rushing touchdown department. So I think that probably is due for a decline too. But, um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get to the ADPs, but he's going quite a bit later than you know he, he's finished in each of his first three seasons in Tennessee. Yeah, and the rushing touchdowns should definitely come down. His rushing yards per game, though, the, his three seasons in Tennessee, he's put up his second, third, and fourth best rates in that category. Not huge numbers, but yeah. numbers that help him week to week. And it really will – I'll wait on ADP, but that's going to be the selling point for whether to draft Tannehill. We'll move to yeah. running back first because Derrick Henry is much more of a fantasy factor, even if you think that Ryan Tannehill is undervalued. Return from that broken foot for the playoffs – you know, wasn't in the playoffs for very long because they only got the one game. We'll watch for setbacks, but it doesn't seem like the foot should be an issue. The Jones fracture has been more of a wide receiver injury. We've had lots of notable wide receivers come down with it, not nearly so many running back examples. So, you know, it's tough to gauge what the after effect is. I'm not going to assume that there's a significant loss in productivity because of that factor. And if we look at the Draft Sharks aging performance table that goes into our new dynasty rankings that, you know, work off of our projections and power the dynasty draft war room now, which of course is brand new for this year. If we look at that, Derrick Henry's heading into year seven, we still get 90% of peak from running backs in that season. And we think of Derrick Henry as a very high volume guy, which he certainly has been since he became the starter. He topped 300 carries in two straight seasons and has seen his carries per game grow every year up to 27.4 per game last year still has only had those two seasons over what 215 rushes. So yeah, it's not like he's piled up 2000 career carries. He's not there yet. He's at 1401 career carries. Um, it's, it's fourth most among active running backs. Only uh, Mark Ingram, Zeke Elliott and Melvin Gordon have more. Henry turns 29 in January. That's you know, getting into a scary age there. We also saw, declines in his you know, PFF rushing grade elusive rating last year. It was his worst PFF rushing grade last year since his 2016 rookie year, his worst career mark in PFF elusive rating, which, you know, measures what, what a guy does beyond the blocking he receives, how many missed tackles he forces, how many yards he picks up after contact. So, you know, that that's worrisome. It, it, you know, looks like Henry's in decline. You, know, you can decline from where he was at peak and still be a really good NFL running back. So that's definitely worth keeping. In mind, the, uh, the other concern I have with Henry is this Titans O-line. So it, it was a solid unit last year. Tennessee was 11th in PFF run blocking grades, 16th in football outsiders adjusted line yards, but they lost two starters. They lost uh, guard Roger Saffold and tackle David Quisenberry, both to the Bills actually in free agency. Those two guys were the team's first and third highest graded run blockers last year. Um, Saffold was 14th among 72 qualifying guards in PFF run blocking grades. Quisenberry, 6th among 67 qualifying tackles in PFF's uh, run blocking grade. So you know, that, that's two pretty key losses on the line. So that, that's going to be something worth keeping an eye on this summer. Yeah. And certainly all of those are factors that you have to consider in deciding whether to take Derrick Henry in round one. I would say my counter to the efficiency stuff 
is that despite all that, he was dominating in, in fantasy numbers. And it's because Tennessee is just going <laughs> to give him the ball when he's on the field. He's been over 100 rushing yards per game each of the past three years. Last year, he averaged 1.3 more PPR points per game than Jonathan Taylor, 2.0 more than Austin Eckler. And that's despite still not being a high volume receiver. He did improve in that area up from 1.2 catches per game in each of the previous two years to 2.3 last year. So still low for an elite running back, but nearly doubled what they were giving him in that area versus the previous two seasons. So Tennessee was even giving him the ball more. Now, of course, we had the foot injury. We'll see if there are any setbacks or reasons for concern on that specific front. But Jared, I I kind of forgot about the football outsiders curse of 370 heading into last season. And of course, it's not you know, technically a curse. It doesn't mean that we believe that anybody who carries 370 plus times is doomed beyond that. But the biggest part of that is there's a lot of luck that goes into staying healthy through 370 carries. And, you know, the number is less important than the luck that goes into it because you're just not likely to have that much injury luck over consecutive years. So, you know, maybe we saw some decline from Derrick Henry after that. Maybe we just saw some regression after a season that was better than it should have been. I think he's always been an abnormal, just human in, in stature. You can see the workout videos. He's, we talk about Tom Brady doing unprecedented things at quarterback. I think Derrick Henry is similar in that we don't really have a precedent for a guy, his size only having two seasons so far where he's over 300 carries, you know, working out the way he does. So I I'm still willing to bet that Derrick Henry doesn't fall off a cliff this year, even if he loses a little bit. Yeah. And it's a good point you made that it doesn't even really matter if he falls off a cliff, if he's going to be getting the type of, I mean, 27.4 carries per game is just at a, an absurd number. It's like we're back in the 1960s or something like you just don't see that nowadays. So if he's going to keep getting that work and if he can stay on the field, I mean, that's obviously the big thing Then you know, it's, it's he's going to be fine. There are definitely concerns. I don't know. I've been betting against Derek Henry for the past like three years and getting buried. So I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm honestly doing it again this year. He's not a guy I've, I've been taking a whole lot of. I think he's going to have to average like three and a half carries or three and a half yards per carry to actually bust if he stays healthy from the first round. And that's what makes me not want to, I wouldn't say I'm like overweight on Derrick Henry, just because there is the the risk factor of if the, if the offense tanks, then he's going to lose some of those second half carries. He's going to lose some of those chances near the goal line. And that hurts him relative to the other top shelf running backs, but I'm not ready to bet on him falling off a cliff. And he, really has to fall off a cliff rushing wise to, to not be okay from where he's going. I think. And the other concern with Henry too, is always like the game script stuff. And like, I still don't know how Tennessee won the AFC in the regular season <laughs> last year, but I think this, you know, this, this, the team in general could just take a big step back from there. And that would obviously hurt a guy like Henry who, you know, doesn't play all the passing downs behind him. I don't think the names matter as much as, the fact that I'm not treating this as a clear handcuff situation, Hassan Haskins has been the favored Titans running back behind him. A fourth round rookie probably would get the more, the larger share of carries if Derrick Henry were to go down. But Dontra Hilliard is also there. He returns for a team that let Deontay Foreman leave after last season, let Jeremy McNichols walk after last season. Hilliard still in the mix. He was getting first team reps in spring drills. So I think that those guys would split work if Derek Henry yeah. were to go down. And I don't want to overrate this situation for handcuff purposes. Yeah. Haskins was not a guy I was excited about coming in. I mean, he did, he did get the fourth round draft capital. He, he, he was coming off a 20 touchdown season, uh, 1300 rushing yards, but you know, average just 4.9 yards per carry. It was just 80. He was, he was middle of the pack in PFF elusive rating in college football 
last season. So just not an exciting prospect coming into the NFL. Then Hilliard, he, to me, he looks like, you know, the, the pass catching option for Tennessee. Um, you know, he's just 202 pounds. Um, he was in a pass route on 59% of his snaps last year, you know, over the second half of the season when Derrick Henry is out. So I, I'm with you. I think if Henry misses time, you probably see Haskins as the lead ball carrier, but not, you know, dominating carries. And you probably see Hilliard mixing in for a handful of carries and then doing most of the pass catching stuff. I will say that clearly Mike Vrabel likes Hassan Haskins because Mike Vrabel's an Ohio state guy. So he took a Michigan uh, running back. It has to mean that he likes the player. Sure. Pass catchers. Traylon Burks is the spotlight name right now because on the same night where they traded away AJ Brown to acquire, they pick, they use the pick on Traylon Burks, six wide receiver off the board, 18th overall in the draft, two spots behind Jahan Dotson. And that was probably the most surprising thing that Burks followed Dotson off the board. Jared, I think the NFL probably cares less about a guy staying in college four years than we <laughs> fantasy players do. But really, yep. to be fair, I think the NFL collectively, even though they're catching up, they're probably behind the fantasy people in general in the analytics department. I think so. Yeah, I think they're catching up. They might still be behind. I mean, yeah, analytically, Burks looks like an awesome prospect. I mean, he did everything you want production wise at Arkansas. He led the team in receiving yards as a true freshman accounted for 43% of the team's receiving yards and 50% of the touchdowns as a sophomore and then had had his career best season this past year, 1,100 yards and 11 touchdowns. Big dude, good downfield, good after the catch. He drew some comparisons to A.J. Brown pre-draft. I didn't see that. I mean, the, the similarity is that they're like bigger guys and physical wide receivers. But to me, Brown was a much more refined receiver coming into the league, a better route runner. I think Burke still has work to do there. But again, I think he can he can make plays downfield. He can make plays after the catch immediately. He's a guy who even got some carries at Arkansas. We'll see if Tennessee uses him in that capacity. Um and obviously, you know, with AJ Brown gone, there's plenty of opportunity for Traylon Burks. There was all that weird asthma, you know, related stuff with him this spring where he wasn't able to practice much because he was, you know, having breathing issues that were supposedly related to his asthma. Um, you know, strange that that would be an issue now and you know he's obviously played with it throughout his football career leading up to this, but that's worth keeping an eye on. Cause he, he did miss a bunch of time this spring. It seemed from the bits I saw from coaches that they weren't uh, loving his level of conditioning at that point. We'll see once we get to training camp and preseason, if any of those things spill over, I definitely think that there's a chance. So, I mean, first of all, it'll be worth watching because he might be a bit on the raw side for a rookie wide receiver. We'll see what they say about him heading into the season and what his role is going to be. But we've also had plenty of examples of players seeming to have issues. And of course, the most recent one is Jamar Chase having some drops issues last summer. So it'll be important to dig into whatever those reports are, if they are on the negative side with Burks. The opportunity is obvious. And as you mentioned, he is a dynamic player in college. In the SEC, 16.4 yards per catch career there, a strong final two seasons. Now he gets to Tennessee, and the primary competition at the position is Robert Woods, who's coming off a November ACL tear, Nick Westbrook-Akeen, who you know had a better year than any of us would have projected last year, but is still a limited player. So opportunities there for him to grab if he proves ready for it yeah now the, the downside to the opportunity is again this is probably going to be a bottom three team in pass rate um, the titans have finished bottom eight in pass attempts in all four seasons under mike Vrabel. i bet on them finishing bottom eight again so it's not a you know big pie they're all eating from but again i think there's a chance for for burks to to, to claim a pretty big piece of it yeah, and even though everybody's excited about A.J. Brown as a player at this point, it's worth mentioning that his fantasy production was not 
amazing over his mm-hmm. time with the Titans. And he was a hyper efficient performer. So uh, Traylon Brooks is not entering a role that had somebody producing as a wide receiver one. So we certainly don't want to overrate that Robert Woods, as I mentioned, coming off the ACL tear, the signs point to him being ready for the season. He heads into his age 30 campaign is 10th in the NFL. If we look at that draft sharks, aging performance table behind the dynasty rankings, 70% of career peak at wide receiver in that 10th season in the NFL. Of course, you got to knock that down at least some for a guy coming off an ACL tear. I will say, for Woods' sake, he's not a speed receiver, not a downfield receiver, so maybe it matters less, a shorter range, run after the catch guy. At the same time, maybe the knee is even more important for a guy who has to do that change of direction stuff. So if Woods were going early, I would be more worried. He's in a good position for target share, especially if Traylon Burks has a shaky summer the rest of the way. As you said for Burks, though, not a great situation for ultimate target volume. Yeah, that's right. And I, I am at least slightly concerned about you know, where Woods' game is, is going to be at this season, you know, at, at 30 years old coming off the ACL. He, you know, even before hurting his knee last year, he finished with his lowest PFF receiving grade since 2016. So, you know, might have already been signs of decline there. Was still productive last year. He was sitting 12th among receivers in both PPR and non-PPR points before suffering that knee injury in practice. That You know, that, of course, was in a much better situation with Matt Stafford in, you know, pass-leaning Rams offense. So, We'll see. We'll see on Woods. I mean, it does look like he's trending towards being ready for week one. He'll be about 10 months removed from that ACL tear when this coming season kicks off. He did some individual drills at OTA, so he seems to be trending in the right direction. I'm you know, kind of tentatively expecting him to be out there week one, but he'll be worth monitoring. Let's jump into ADP. Um, Ryan Tannehill, I, I mentioned he's a QB 24, and I think that's the biggest selling point for him yeah. is you can say, well, I don't like Ryan Tannehill now that A.J. Brown's gone. That's fine. Nobody likes Ryan Tannehill, and he has yeah. way outperformed that level of draft position. So you can take him just – like close your eyes and take him at that level. Yeah. I like Tannehill pretty easily over Matt Ryan. I mean, ju- just for the rushing ability alone, and you know, he's going quite a bit later. Yeah, even if he's Matt Ryan plus four rushing touchdowns, that's it. it's very easy to take, especially when he's behind Matt Ryan in ADP. Yep. Derrick Henry, RB4, you know, it it makes me uneasy, but it also makes me uneasy to pass on him. So he's just somebody that I'm going to make sure that I have some of. So if we have a year similar to last year, I'm not like crap. Yeah, and there are a lot of people that are you know leery of Henry. So he, you'll even see him drop to like the end of the first round a lot of times. Um, I do think you know underdog is a better place to, to take him in, with the half PPR than you know full PPR sites like FFPC. Yeah, I definitely agree with that as well. Hassan Haskins RB sixty five. So you know I said that people like him better than Dontrell Hilliard, but it's not out of whack with him. He's one spot behind Sony Michelle though in ADP. He's just ahead of Dearness Johnson. Uh, you know, Benjamin Kenyon Drake. So, I mean, you know, if you want to take Haskins in that range, fine. I don't think he's going to do much for you. I don't think he's going to be the league winner, even if Derrick Henry goes down at their respective ADPs. I'd rather take Dontrell Hilliard because I know that he's at least going to have a receiving role and we'll see how the rushing goes. You know, maybe Haskins doesn't have it as a runner. Dontrell Hilliard didn't start out getting the ball last year after Derrick Henry went down. And then he worked his way into relevance in that post-Henry backfield. Yeah, I'm not drafting either of these guys. Um, again, I, I think it'd be a committee if Henry misses time this season, so I wouldn't be excited about Haskins or Hilliard even in that situation. I don't know. Our, our guy Adam is is pumping up Haskins' ADP. I think every draft board that guy posts has Hassan Haskins on it. I'm not, I'm not sure what he's saying. I don't get it. 
Yeah, I don't have the Deontay Foreman numbers in my notes right here, but I think people are probably remembering yeah. Foreman being better last year for fantasy yeah. than he actually was after Henry went down. Yep, agreed. Traylon Burks, wide receiver 45. Robert Woods, wide receiver 49. Westbrook Akeen, wide receiver 99. And then one more guy I'll get to in a minute. I think this <laughs> is like the low-cost, even lower-cost version of Jacksonville. And it doesn't. it's not quite a direct comparison because Woods is much higher than their second wide receiver in Jacksonville. But Traylon yep. Burks, wide receiver 45, with Ryan Tannehill at QB 24. I mean, there's a lot of upside to that particular stack. For sure. And Burt, you know, the to me, the biggest impact of the, the asthma-related stuff we, we talked about is that's brought his price down considerably. So a month ago, Burks was wide receiver 38 going in the mid-seventh round on underdog. Now he's going in the late eighth round as wide receiver 45. So he, he's definitely on sale right now, and I, it's got to be because of, you know, the kind of the negative reports on him we got this spring. So I think, you know, now's a good time to draft train on Burks. You know, wide receiver 45 for a first-round rookie in a spot, you know, that where he has a chance to emerge as, as the top guy in the passing game. I think, I think he's a good risk to take in these, you know, especially in these, in these best ball tournaments. And before all these guys got drafted, he was the number one rookie wide receiver in ADP by a pretty good bet. So it's, it's an attractive price versus where he has been valued yeah. previously, especially if you're wary of Robert Woods coming off the ACL tear. Westbrook Akeen's fine at the end of the draft if you have a Ryan Tannehill team. And by the way, I think it's also worth mentioning that you can put Ryan Tannehill and Traylon Burks on the same team with Derrick Henry because Henry's and Tannehill's biggest games have aligned well in the past, more so than you would probably expect. Yeah, I remember that from the DFS shows. That's right. Austin, well, actually, before we get away from the wide receivers, I want to mention Kyle Phillips at wide Come receiver on. 116. And it's for exactly <laughs> that reason, because nobody gets excited about tiny white slot receivers and you shouldn't be excited, but that's why they're relevant. All we got to do is look back last year to Hunter Renfro. And I'm not saying that Kyle Phillips is Hunter Renfro, but he's nearly identical in size and athletic testing. He had a much larger role in his offense in college than Hunter Renfro did had an age 20 breakout, had a 93rd percentile college target share, according to player profiler had an 80th percentile college dominator, had 28 plus percent target share each of the past two years at UCLA. You know, I'm not saying that Kyle Phillips is going to do big things, but he is in an offense where we don't really know how the target share is going to go. We don't know how good uh, Traylon Burks is going to be. We don't know for sure who the top three wideouts are going to be. There's already been some buzz about Kyle Phillips there. Maybe he's just Adam Humphreys. And if he is, whatever, it doesn't hurt my team taking him in round 18 or whatever. But if he becomes something like Hunter Renfro or Cole Beasley, or I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to say that I don't think he'll ever be Julian Edelman. So any of those things, even if he's last year's Braxton Berrios, like that's the kind of player we're talking about in a situation where you can have that kind of target upside, even for a three week span. Yeah. I, I mean, my, my thing is I, I don't get excited about, tiny white slot receivers on run heavy offenses. That, that's, that's my biggest thing. Like if you put Kyle Phillips on the bills or the bucks, you know, even Renfro last year on the Raiders, you know, I believe they finished top 10 and past him. So that's just my, like he needs big volume to pay off in fantasy. I just, it's, it's tough for me to see him getting it in Tennessee. I would say only at the very end of a best ball draft where you have Ryan Tannehill or who is it? Yeah. The giant, the, they don't play the giants. That's the Colts who plays uh, the Cowboys. Titans. Cowboys. Cowboys. So at yeah. the very end of a draft where you have either Tannehill 
or a Cowboys stack. And you're looking for a player who's going to differentiate. That's the key. I'm not saying Kyle Phillips is a league winner, but he could be like that one week guy. It's like, who had Kyle Phillips? Oh, I had Kyle Phillips. And if you want to stash him late in a dynasty league, then that's fine too. Yeah, fine dynasty stash. I I would need, you know, 25 rounds to, to get the Kyle Phillips. 18 rounds underdog is not enough for me. All right. Well, I got a couple shares out there that we'll, we'll see how they look in, in week 17. Tight end Austin Hooper at tight end 25. Chigo Conquo is at tight end 51. There's been a little mm-hmm. bit of buzz on him. I don't really want to jump on that buzz, but I'll be watching to see what they say about him in training camp and preseason. Yeah, Oconco's a good dynasty stash. Um, you know, got fourth round draft capital, decent. It's funny, he actually got compared to John U. Smith in the pre-draft process because he's undersized. He's just 238 pounds, but he ran a four or five two at the combine. So he, you know, he's basically an oversized wide receiver that, you know, maybe we can use at tight end, but I don't, I don't see him making an impact this season. I do think Hooper is going to be the guy he got, he signed just a one-year deal. Hooper did, but he got 6 million bucks. Um, he's still just 28 in October. He, he was disappointing in Cleveland, but you know, you look back to the three seasons beyond uh, before that in Atlanta, he was a top 10 PPR tight end. Um, I don't think the upside's that high in Tennessee again, because it's a low volume passing game, but he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a fine pick at that ADP tight end 27, just because I do think he's going to be on the field. Yeah. Really just a best ball factor for me because this Tennessee offense has consistently disappointed us with the target share for a specific tight end, but there's opportunity here and he's going in the range where you can have Austin Hooper as your third. And especially if you stack him with Ryan Tannehill, there's some week to week upside there. Yep. Agreed. That'll do it for this fourth episode of our divisional preview series. You can find every one of them at DraftSharks.com, complete with the YouTube video right on the site. Links to subscribe with your favorite service so you can get these delivered to you. Make sure that you do subscribe to the DraftSharks podcast wherever you get your pods so you don't miss the second half of this series. We still have four more divisions to go, and we'll deliver it right to you when we post them if you are subscribing Tomorrow afternoon, we've also got the second guest in our Beat Writer series, which is Mike Kliss from the Denver Denver Broncos Beat. We had a great chat with Candace Silva of Ramswire yesterday. So this whole series is just going to be like short, easy to digest shows packed with actionable info for fantasy players. So make sure you check them all out. For Jared Smola and the rest of the Draft Sharks crew, I'm Matt Shaft saying thanks so much for swimming with us.